0: This is a CBC Podcast. Hi
1: there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics Podcast for Monday, December 18th. Jewish residents in Ottawa are on edge after learning they were the target in an alleged terror plot. Coming up, reaction from the Jewish Federation of Ottawa. And the NDP has yielded some wins in its supply and confidence agreement with the Liberals. But is Pharmacare the red line that could end it all, sending Canadians to the polls in 2024? NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is also ahead. We're going to start with some breaking news on that terrorism story out of Ottawa, as additional charges have been laid against a minor who was arrested and charged this weekend in connection to a possible terrorist activity against Jewish people. The minor appeared in court today through Video Link, and the CBC's Hillary Johnstone is here with the latest. So, Hillary, tell us about these new charges.
2: Well, these new charges, David, there's a second count here of facilitating a terrorist activity, and then there are also two charges here relating to either making or possessing an explosive substance. So those are the new charges. As you were saying there, of course, the RCMP are not able to release a lot of details or information about this person who has been charged because of the person's age. So at this point, we do know that there are these five charges, that this individual appeared in an Ottawa court today, uh, and that these new charges two of them like i say are related to either making or possessing an explosive substance and then also this second count of facilitating terrorist activity
1: okay so this making or possessing an explosive substance is sort of the big development here what else is this person already charged with
2: Absolutely. So along with that, there were also these two charges that the RCMP had announced on Saturday when they first uh, came out with this information saying that this individual had been arrested on Friday and then on Saturday announcing here uh, that that person was facing this charge of instructing someone either directly or indirectly to carry out a terrorist activity against Jewish people and then there was this additional charge as well as facilitation of a terrorist activity by communicating instructional material related to an explosive substance. So as you say, there has now been this development. And certainly at the time on Saturday when all of this was announced, we heard a lot of political reaction, as you can imagine, including from Ottawa's Mayor Mark Sutcliffe saying that he was shocked, saying that police would be stepping up patrols around Jewish places of worship. Uh, And we also, of course, heard other political reaction, including from Canada's Public Safety Minister, thanking the RCMP for their work. We heard from the leader of the opposition, official opposition, Pierre Polyev, as well, uh, with a similar sort of line here thanking the RCMP for what they had done, because what we heard from the RCMP, RCMP on Saturday is that the reason they were able to come out and announce these charges and arrest that individual on Friday was because of information that had been provided by CSIS.
1: Okay, so this is very early, obviously, in this process. Hillary, you know, court appearances the weekend and today, what happens next uh, in this story?
2: Well, first thing, as you're saying, there will be another court appearance that is scheduled for this Wednesday, so just a couple of days from now. And then certainly what we have heard from the RCMP is that they are seeing this rise in extremism, uh, extremist behavior, in particular, they say, among youth using the Internet to facilitate terrorist activity. They are asking parents, educators, coaches uh, to be on the lookout for this sort of thing, to talk to young people about this. And they say that the threat of further extremist behavior, that there is the threat of that right now, that they have seen this uptake in hate crimes against both members uh, of the Jewish community, also seen an uptick when it comes to Islamophobia across the country as well. This is something that they have expressed concern over. And they say that just since June, as one example here, David, five youth, five young people uh, have now been charged with uh, crime, similar sorts of activity, this threat, this allegation here that they have been using the Internet uh, for similar sort of activity in terms of using the Internet for terrorism-related activity. So this is a concern that they have. This is something that the RCMP says that they want to continue to keep an eye out for, and they're asking for people who have young people in their lives to also be keeping an eye out for that. But certainly, immediately, the next thing will be that court appearance on Wednesday.
1: Okay, Hillary, thank you so much. This is CBC's Hillary Johnstone here in Ottawa. Well, this news comes as Jewish communities in Ottawa and around the country are dealing with a sharp rise in anti-Semitic incidents following the October 7th attack by Hamas. I'm joined now by Sarah Butel, interim CEO of the Jewish Federation of Ottawa. Thank you so much for taking the time today.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Uh, there's still many things we do not know uh, about this particular uh, uh, these particular allegations and this alleged terror plot, but this youth is charged with instructing someone to carry out a terrorist activity against Jewish people, presumably here in Ottawa. How is Ottawa's Jewish community feeling and reacting to this, Sarah?
3: This is it's terrible and alarming news, and it's frightening for our community, that's for sure. Um... We are very grateful, though, for um, the security services that were able to foil the attack and that, to make sure that everyone is safe. Um, and we know that we've been told and we trust that our security services, our Ottawa police services, um, are doing a really good job to continue to um, monitor the situation and continue to protect Jewish institutions and the Jewish community campus and the like.
1: Do people feel safe? I mean, it's been a lot since October, and and this is at a whole other level, you know, in in some ways, um, because we've seen the more extreme incidents have happened in places like Montreal. I've not seen something like this, you know, here in in Ottawa. Do people feel safe right now?
3: There have been incidents here in Ottawa as well. Do people feel safe? So we are doing our very best to ensure that our institutions are safe, um, but it's really... Um, it's hard for people when things like this happen for people to feel safe. Right. So we, you know, we as the Jewish community um, are, are taking steps. We've increased security protocols. Um, we have extra security measures in place. Um, but it, it is increasingly hard for people to feel safe in the face of this kind of news that we received. So, you know, it's definitely a challenging time for us. Um, we do have uh, many people who have reached out to express support, and that is really, truly appreciated. So I can tell you that when, when you know, allies and people in the community reach out to community members, to the Jewish Community Centre, to Jewish Federation of Ottawa to express their support, um, it really is very, it's very heartening and it's very helpful at times like these.
1: No, and, and look, I take your point when you said earlier there have been incidents here in Ottawa. We had a rabbi on the show a, a week or so ago. who talked about receiving death threats, uh, but you know the Molotov cocktails we saw in Montreal, the, the gunshots at, at Jewish community organizations, uh, certainly um, an alleged plot of uh, involving a bomb or some sort of terrorist activity is, is something we have not seen anywhere uh, up, up to this point. And I just wonder what. You no, know what though? Are.
4: Go ahead.
3: I do. Wanna, I do want to say that. Um, Even anti-Semitic words lead to violence. So so we can't minimize the fact that there has been an increase in anti-Semitism across Canada, here in Ottawa, in our schools, on our campuses, in our neighborhoods, in people's workplaces. And and we can't minimize those because they're not as sensational. Um, They still make people feel unsafe. And we know now that words lead to action and they lead to potential violence. And that has to stop. So when we say that we have to take anti-Semitism seriously, this is what we mean. Um, it's not just sensational acts that are the problem. It's, it's hateful words that can lead and escalate.
1: Which was the, the point I was going to get to, that the warning from them was that these sort of words, this is the escalation point that they were worried about. And, and now we have the criminal charges and, and the allegations coming out. And, and I know there were initial changes to security protocols, for example, at facilities and, and schools and things in the wake of it. Does this require further action when something like this happens? Uh, how, how do you respond to this now? Or, or do you think what you've been able to put in place up to this point Maybe sufficient. I don't know if sufficient is the right word, but if, if it's enough for now.
3: So I would say that we are always monitoring the security situation and we are always doing our best to improve in any way that we can our security protocols and that has not changed and that will not change going forward. So, you know, every single week, every single month, we're reviewing our security protocols and making sure that they're, um, you know, that we are prepared um, and that we have the necessary security in place so. You know, it hasn't changed since October 7th, Mm -hmm. and we're going to continue to do that going forward.
1: How do you balance all of this, you know, living your life, um, celebrating Hanukkah uh, in in this environment, you know, uh, with with the the rise in the incidents, the threats? How how do you balance it all?
3: So I think think my message to people is this, that um, we have to go on living our lives, Mm -hmm. and we have to... um, you know, be proud Jews and be part of the Ottawa community, which, you know, our community is very much a part of the fabric of life in Ottawa. And we can't stop doing that. But we do have to make sure that we are being vigilant and that we continue to um, stay really aware of our surroundings. And we are encouraging our community to report anything that they see, any incidents or things that they feel are... um, you know, worth reporting that they should. We're encouraging people to, we're providing information on how to report non-emergency happenings. And so that's what we're encouraging people to do both those things at the same time, to live their lives, to be out there, um, to continue to gather, to continue to be proud, to continue to celebrate joyful things in a very challenging time, uh, but at the same time to remain vigilant.
1: There, there have been calls um, at all for all levels of government and, and, and policing services to respond uh, to, to the threat and the rise in, in, in anti-Semitic actions uh, over the past several months. In terms of everything from accelerating physical security and funding, you know, to do what a, a kind of reinforcement of facilities. Are, are you satisfied with how um, various levels have responded to it? Is there something that you still want to see done here, especially in, in the wake of this more sensationalist uh, incident this weekend?
3: So I can say that a lot of really positive action has happened. The Ontario government recently released a new round of funding. Uh, The federal government has increased its SIP funding, Security Infrastructure Program funding. The Ottawa Police Services has been really fantastic, providing support um, to the Jewish community here in Ottawa. Um, The mayor has been fantastic. So um, I would say that a lot of very positive things are happening. What I will say now, though, is that it's apparent that... Um, online hate has been allowed to fester, um, with very serious consequences, as the RCMP laid out very clearly. And we really are now pressing the government to take immediate and effective action to combat online hate. That is the next thing that has to happen, um, and it has to happen hopefully very soon.
1: That that is a that is a difficult fight uh, in a difficult arena. Uh, ha- have you got any uh, advice or suggestions on, on how they should do it? like we struggle with People this one much right it's than me are gonna
3: have to i yeah. gonna have to figure that one out um, it is very complicated and yeah. i know that's one of the reasons why it's taking so long but it's never been more important than it is right now um to get it right and to take action so um it's really important that this happens and we really are hoping to see some action in the very near future
1: Sarah Butel, Interim CEO of the Jewish Federation of Ottawa, I want to thank you for your time uh, on this day. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you very much. Good night. Good
1: night. (laughs) 2023 is coming to a close and MPs have largely departed Ottawa. The Conservatives head into the winter break with a healthy lead in the polls.
0: The Liberals trail in second spot and in third, the New Democrats we don't agree with the liberals divisive tactics we don't agree with the climate denial of the conservatives we have our own path we've seen eight years of this liberal government not really take this seriously they haven't addressed this problem the agreement gives us the ability to negotiate and force this government to do more unlike the conservatives whose goal is just to force an election our goal is to force this government to work for people pierre polyev claims that everything in this country is broken on the other hand justin Trudeau wants to think that everything is fine He thinks that paying $40 for chicken is fine. It's not fine. It's not normal. Can New Democrats deliver real programs that make people's lives better? The answer is now yes. We can take that to Canadians. We can deliver. We can make things happen that give people a break.
1: The NDP is approaching two years of a supply and confidence agreement with the governing Liberals, This, despite one of the key promises in that deal, Pharmacare legislation, being delayed until at least March. Shagmin Singh is the leader of the federal New Democratic Party, and he joins me now from Toronto. Uh, Mr. Singh, first off, congratulations on the new arrival. They're in your arms, uh, your baby girl. I hope mom and, and, and baby are doing great.
0: Everyone's doing great. Everyone's doing great. We're really excited to have this uh, wonderful new addition to the family. And I, like many other parents, are balancing uh, some childcare duties today, so thanks for accommodating.
1: Uh, not, not a problem. So uh, the big personal news uh, for you is right there. The professional news is that you and the Liberals, your party and the Liberals, have agreed to delay uh, the implementation of the Pharmacare uh, uh, promise to march, uh, supposed to be in place by the end of this year. Why have you agreed to do that when it was such an important issue for your party?
0: It remains uh, very important for, for us. We are at a, a very strong difference of opinion between the Democrats, between myself and and. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and the Liberals. We believed in a program that works for, for people, for families, to bring down the cost of medication. And the Liberals and Justin Trudeau were more focused on appeasing the big pharmaceutical industries and the insurance companies. So we had that difference of opinion. We've had some constructive conversations, and we feel confident we can get to a better place, but we needed more time. And so that's why we agreed to push for the date.
1: How can both of those things be true, that you're having productive conversations, but the Liberals are intent on appeasing big pharma?
0: Well, that was the initial problem, and and we made it very clear that that's not going to fly. So we we said no to the first draft, and uh, they took it very clearly. They took back our feedback very clearly that we needed to see something that was in line with our principle. Frankly, the government's own commission report that we want to make sure people can afford their medication. Lots of people in our country are struggling with the cost of everything being more expensive. And for those that need medication on a regular basis... It is quite expensive. Canada is the third most expensive in the world. And so we made that very clear, and that feedback was received. And that's why we've now agreed to an extension because they've understood that we're not going to accept an approach that favors the big pharmaceuticals or the big insurance companies. We want an approach that makes sure families, that workers, that, that people can get medication that they need.
1: So so what if there is no agreement by March, sir? Uh, w- what happens then? Because I know at your, your party convention in Hamilton, the, u- Universal Pharmacare was the red line uh, for the members of your party in, in terms of the, the supply and confidence agreement uh, with the federal liberals. So how hard of a deadline and how much of a red line is March in this situation?
0: Uh, so we made it very clear that that's what we expect. We expect that March is the date that we want to see. Uh, by that date, we want to see a program that we can can move forward on, the one that respects our values, that that is there for families, that's there for workers. And so we've made that very clear that the reason we agree to the extension is to get to a spot that we can agree to
1: you 've seen the uh, the fall economic statement from from the finance Minister and, and the economic projections for at least the next two years it 's low growth it 's higher debt servicing costs uh, there 's an inability to get deficits down in, in a truly meaningful way and, and that 's without any new spending I mean, what if Mr. Singh, we just get to the point that f- there 's not enough fiscal room there for universal pharmacare
0: uh, We understand the importance of being sure that we are we are cautious and we are uh, very responsible with our financial situation so we understand that uh, there are ways to work within that framework to deliver what we believe is the right way to move forward and we're talking about legislation that sets a framework so that we can actually move forward on universal pharmacare. and we are confident we can achieve that with uh, the important value of respecting our financial circumstances that can be achieved.
1: Politically, uh, this is one of the key components of the Supply and Confidence Agreement, and, and the, the, you know, the intention of this is that it would last until 2025, when, when the next election is, it has to be held. Um, how confident are you right now with this delay? I know, I know dental has been delivered, more or less, and is rolling out this year. Uh, how confident are you that this arrangement with the Liberals will, will run the full course?
0: Well, we look at the dental care as an example of, of the success of what we've been able to achieve. While the Liberals were, are shown to be very out of touch, not connecting with the concerns that people are going through, and voted against having dental care in the first place, we were able to drive this forward. And it's going to mean a life-changing uh, option for, for millions of people. For seniors in our country, they're going to be able to get their teeth looked after. I've spoken with lots of seniors. I know what that, that would mean to them. I spoke to Brianna, a mom of five kids. Each one of her five kids got to see the dentist for the first time because we forced this government to deliver for people. So that is exactly why we got into this, why I got, why I'm a new Democrat, is to try to get results for people and use the power we have to force government to work for people. And having seen the government up close, it's really redoubled my desire to become prime minister. We could do so much more to make people's lives better.
1: Right, but uh, so you've gotten progress on dental to the point where it will be implemented over the course of 2024, but there's still the delay on pharma, and, and that if that is the red line, I mean, are you confident that where things left off before Parliament rose uh, for, for the Christmas break, that, that you're on a track where you can deliver something on pharma by March that allows this deal to stay in place for its duration?
0: That's the understanding that we have, and that's why we agreed to the extension that Uh, We want to get to a point by March where we can move forward to something that we can can agree to. So far, we've said no to the government. We made it very clear we do not uh, accept their approach. They've heard that. And that's why this extension is in place to get to a place that we can agree.
1: Do you think this agreement, um, now that we're a, a fair chunk of time into it, Has been politically beneficial for New Democrats or for the Liberals? If you look at where public opinion polling went throughout the course of the year, the New Democrats have really kind of, sorry, the Conservatives, excuse me, have really surged out to a big lead. Uh, You know, if an election were held today, arguably a Conservative majority is in place. And that seems precisely the sort of outcome that this arrangement was supposed to stop. So do you think it has worked politically for New Democrats and Liberals, given the changes in the political mood of the country?
0: I know this is something that's, that's probably hard for folks to, to understand, given the normal liberal conservative frameworks where the only goal is the pursuit of power. We Democrats, we want to get things done that make people's lives better. That's why I became a leader. I remember what it was like when I was struggling taking care of my kid brother when I was in university, making sure that my kid brother had food on the table, when my dad was struggling with an addiction. I remember what it was like to get a little support from some of my friends, my, my brother's friends' parents who would send food home back, and how much difference that made in our lives. I got in this this line of work to make a difference in people's lives and we've achieved that. The fact that I can look at Brianna and her five kids and see the smiles on their face because they were able to get their teeth looked after, the pain that they used to have was dealt with, that is the, that is the reward for new Democrats. And it's hard to understand that in the context of liberals and conservatives who are purely focused on power. We know that Pierre Polyev is not interested in actually helping people. He's interested in power. He voted against the dental care program despite himself having free dental care or dental care paid for by the public since most of his adult life. So uh, we differ with, with the conservatives. We're in it for power and not in it for people. We differ from the liberals who are out of touch. We want to use our power to make sure people get some
1: support in this difficult time. No, and I can appreciate your motivation to get things done, but the the hope is that they don't then get undone in the next election cycle. And and if Mr. Polyevin and his conservatives do form government, as polling would suggest now, then many of the fruits of your labor in this are are subject to a change of direction, a change of policy priority because of the change in government, and and maybe they get cut. So this needs to work politically for you as well, not just from a policy perspective, Does does it not?
0: We'll make that case to Canadians. Once they start seeing the benefit, once seniors are able to get their teeth looked after, once more and more kids are able to go to the dentist, once families see the benefit this has in their lives, we'll put that to Canadians. That Listen, we fought hard for you. The Conservatives are making no surprise about this. or not hiding this. They're going to cut and gut the services that you rely on. They're not going to make things better. They're, they're going to cut dental care. They voted against the school lunch program which only benefits kids and make sure they have food at school, the fact that they would vote against that shows how callous they are. We'll put that to Canadians. We'll make sure they know that Pierre Poilievre is not who he says he is. he is. He is going to make things harder for you. He's going to cut the things that you care about. And that the Liberals are not the solution either. They, they've shown that they're out of touch. And we've shown that we can deliver. And we'll put that case to Canadians. But in terms of uh, why we were able to use our power or why we made that decision, it was to make people's lives better, and we're proud of that. And then we'll put that choice to Canadians, and, and hopefully they, they choose not to go down the path of the Conservatives cutting and gutting.
1: And, and that, that argument you will make to Canadians, the case you will put to Canadians, is, is your intention to do that in 2025, or do you think we could see something in 2024,
0: sir? Well, our, our plan is to continue to use the power we have to deliver. Uh, that's going to be our motivating principle, and we'll use that to make assessments throughout the, the next phase of this agreement, that can we continue to use our power to deliver for Canadians? That will be the the metric on which we make our next decisions.
1: Federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and his new baby. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today.
0: Thanks so much.
5: To learn that there was an attack being planned mm-hmm. is really shocking. We've been increasing patrols around synagogues and other uh, Jewish institutions, as well as around other religious institutions in the community. So there's been, there's been an increase in Islamophobia as well, and, and uh, there's been uh, rising tensions, as there have been all over the world.
1: Ottawa Mayor Mark Sutcliffe reacting to the weekend arrest of a youth here in Ottawa who faces charges of directing someone to carry out terrorist activity against Jewish persons and communicating instructional material related to an explosive substance. Three additional charges relate today, including one referencing making or possession of an explosive substance. This arrest comes amidst pro-Palestinian protests across the country.
0: Shame on the-
1: In at the Eaton Centre in Toronto on Friday, where clothing chain Zara was targeted and forced to close its security gates with shoppers inside. More protests are planned outside MP and Cabinet Minister offices today. So how should authorities deal with this war between Israel ha- and Hamas, increasing the risks of public safety in this country? Let's bring in the power panel. Brad Levine is with Council Public Affairs. Lisa Rait is a former Conservative Cabinet Minister and now Vice Chair of Global Investment Banking with CIBC Capital Markets. And here with me in Ottawa, Vonda Nakata is a political consultant and a former advisor to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Rob Russo is the former CBC Parliamentary Bureau Chief, now writing uh, for The Economist. Uh, Rob, uh, l- let's start with you. The RCMP has noted the rising Risk of radicalization and terror-related offenses. Uh, w- when they announced uh, this arrest and these charges, there is this cauldron of unrest. What's your take on these latest developments? Well,
5: let's let's have a look at at the uh, at the scale of it. Uh, there was an interesting poll released yesterday, I believe, by Harvard and Harris X, which showed that there is a real problem with younger people in particular. Uh, and this was in the United States, but I would not be surprised if we had mirrored results here. Um, uh, about two-thirds of those between 18 and 24 believe that uh, that Jews are oppressors. Uh, uh, six out of ten believe that Hamas, the Hamas attack on October 7th was justified. So... That tells us that what we saw before October 7th when anti-Semitism was the um, fastest growing hate crime in Canada has even grown larger. Uh, So so we have a real problem. We have a problem in Canada, clearly. The other thing, though, that we have is is clearly we had an RCMP or police forces on their toes. There was clearly Mm -hmm. either an informant Or uh, there was an undercover officer working here, and the RCMP did their job, thank God. Uh, And uh, um, so we have a real problem, and uh, even though the RCMP were on their toes this time, I think we have to assume that that problem is only going to get bigger. Uh, Lisa, you've sat around the Cabinet table. I I mean, what kind of
1: conversations do you think are are happening at the federal level, at the provincial level, and even at the municipal level right now, uh, to sort of get a handle on, on, on what's happening?
6: Well, I don't know, but I certainly know what I hope they're talking about, and I hope they're talking about looking at the Youth Criminal Justice Act, because quite frankly, this has been seen before. In 2019, there was a youth in Kingston who was charged very similarly with exactly the same offenses, using probably the same substance that they're referencing, with the same PowerPoint that they're talking about, and he ended up getting... Three years custody, two in custody and one in the community, because that's the maximum you can get for terrorism charges in this country for somebody under the age of 18. If he was over 18, he was going to get life imprisonment or something along those lines. But because you're under 18, that's exactly why we're having people radicalizing the youth, because if they do get caught, and I'm glad that they do get caught, they end up facing a very very mild slap on the wrist so we can talk about radicalization and we can talk about oh what's happened and how did this all come to be but folks it's happening and it's about time we figured out how to send a very strong signal that this is not acceptable
1: Vandana, we've um, seen these, these charges, this arrest, uh, we've seen the protests, uh, various intensities. There's a video of someone saying, I'm going to put you six feet under, to someone who's shopping in the Eaton Center, and no charges were laid there, I think, to avoid escalating that moment beyond what had happened, is the explanation we're getting from authorities. W- what does this, all of this tell you about how things are playing out in the country?
7: Um, Well, there's two things I think about. One is even prior to what happened October 7th, there has been people have been sounding the alarm on hate, and all types of hate, um, Mm anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, um, 2 plus. there's hate growing in this country and across North America and even in Europe. I would say that you're seeing the rise of that. Um, The other piece I will talk about is... You know, young people. um, We do have a problem. I think there's a lot of access to online that people aren't monitoring. I think there's a lot of things that we have to think about our youth because I take Lisa's point but let's think about also prevention and I think how we build people together as a community. I think there's a lot of talk about what divides us and not to take away that we shouldn't be, it's not like we should stop celebrating what makes us unique, our different backgrounds but what are we also talking about that brings us together and education is a key point of that, teaching people, like I read recently that people, young people don't know about the Holocaust mm-hmm. and I find that unfathomable to me. That's something I knew fundamentally growing up but I don't know it because I took a, an interest in European history and therefore I knew. Right. But teaching people about different, you know, faiths and backgrounds and con- community building and connection is going to be key to like not just, you know, not just to like battle what's happening today but to prevent hate growing tomorrow.
1: Brad, the, un- the unfortunate thing is that it seems a lot of the conversation in the country now is about anger and division and pain and resentment, right? And, and it, it's uh, being fueled by, 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 by this conflict and by the images coming out of it and, and leading to the sort of things we, we've seen over the last 72 hours.
4: Well, yeah, and that's what I think it makes it a, a, a potent uh, organizing tool for those that seek to um, perpetuate hate and and hate crimes, Um I think I think that it's important to note that the rise of radicalization among young people um, is a real concern. So, looking not only at the criminal—I mean, I'll take Lisa's point—that's uh, at the end of the system. I mean, I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll defer to the to the to, to others to tell us whether or not the increase in youth radicalization is because they 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 have lighter sentences or it's because of the use of the internet social media platforms makes it incredibly challenging to break up Mm -hmm. Uh, you know in the olden days you know these these things would have, you know, you'd have meetings, you'd break, you know, the police would go in, have an infiltrate, you know, infiltrate the meeting. Now it's all done over, you know, it's, it's done on, on social media. It's done, uh, you know, through through iPhones. Incredibly difficult to catch. And therefore, you know, are we doing enough as a society to ensure that the laws against perpetuating online hate uh, are stopped? uh... what and what and and who who plays what responsibility in helping uh, to slow that down because young people are always going to be looking for answers there's always going to be susceptibility uh... among young people uh... in terms of finding out answers to what's going wrong either you know uh, near them or around the or around the globe uh, so there's a vulnerability there and i think we, we have an obligation uh... to be much more muscular to say that 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 the perpetuation of hate not only in the tone coming from our, our leaders, uh, but also in what gets uh, what gets uh, transferred uh, uh, to it. It'll be very interesting to see what, if any, information we get coming out of this case to see what was the what was the trail that led to the. Authorities to break it up, but what what led to that young person becoming uh, radicalized so, to the point where they were about to uh, do something uh, very very serious?
1: Right, a- and you know, Rob, it's not just you know this incident, uh, uh, you know, allegedly targeting uh, Jewish targets. I mean, we had arrests earlier this month, two men from Ontario, the Adam Waffen, you know, white supremacist neo-Nazi sort of organization, and you know, a lot of these groups do target young men in particular because of the disaffection and anger they're feeling, and you can reach them you
5: know online you yeah. know, this is an enormous challenge and there were I think there were several young men in Calgary as well who were arrested mm-hmm. who I, I I believe were were released on a, on a peace bond which is kind of yeah. extraordinary when you think that they were arrested yeah. on terrorism charges and then and then they're released on a peace bond perhaps uh, they uh, they weren't facing as serious right uh, a charges as, as the the person in Ottawa but the charge here is is serious. It, he wasn't just uh, encouraging somebody else to do it. It sounds like he was the recruiter, or this person was the recruiter and the radicalizer, uh, and and now the latest charge, uh, suggesting that they had the means to cause... Destruction. When you think about an explosive, we're thinking about mm. significant explosives. I don't think this person is going to be released on a peace bond anytime soon.
1: No. Uh, and look, uh, there's so much we don't know about this person. I don't know the name, gender, anything. I mean, Lisa. I mean, Youth Justice. Uh, there is a there's a publication ban, so we're very limited in what we can say. But I, I just wonder if I could just pull it up a little bit uh, t- to the political level because we, we did see, um, you know, the government of Canada voting for uh, uh, the ceasefire resolution at the United Nations uh, last week. We saw the United <laughs> Kingdom and Germany. Uh, in in a joint uh, piece written by the foreign ministers of those countries, David Cameron and Annalena Baerbach, Baerbock, uh, calling for a sustained ceasefire. I I think the hope by some of these leaders is that it would maybe influence the the, the direction of the conflict but also calm things down on the domestic front for them. Uh, But I'm not quite sure it's going to have that impact necessarily in the short term.
6: Well, how's that working for them? Because they did all that on, the, on uh, Friday, and yet you saw the disruptions at Bayshore Shopping Center, at the Eaton Center, at, at uh, I think Square One in Toronto as well, targeting uh, Jewish owned businesses or Jewish um, related businesses and to the point of harassment and, and harassing Santa Claus and the kids who were going to see Santa Claus in one particular case. That is not, uh, in my opinion, doing anything for the cause. Of, of bringing sympathy or empathy to what's happening in Gaza. Um, so I don't believe that there's any direct correct correlation or causation between any kind of foreign policy stance that this government is going to take and what is happening on the ground here in Canada. I don't think anything is going to abate or appease other than um, a cessation and a, a completion of whatever is going to happen in the Middle East. And I don't quite know what that is going to be. But in amongst all this, there's still an obligation on the government to protect all of its citizens, all of its citizens. And right now we've got a very specific group of citizens who are being singled out in a very scary way. And it, and it it does behoove us of paying closer attention and doing something about it instead of wondering what caused it and how do we get to the bottom of the social ills of what's happened to them. I mean, we do need some action here, David. Mm-hmm.
1: No, i uh Y- yes and, and and we did speak with the uh, the Ottawa Jewish Federation earlier in the show and they talked about you know how various levels of funding and security have been made available and accelerated uh, to to respond to it but Obviously, something like this weekend, it's going to raise the anxiety levels of the Jewish community, the concerns Mm -hmm. of the Jewish community. Interestingly, though, um, a lot of people protesting on the Palestinian side of this here in Canada, they're targeting MP and cabinet ministers' offices today, despite the (laughs) fact that Canada voted for a ceasefire at the UN and has called for a sustainable ceasefire with other conditions in conjunction with New Zealand and Australia.
7: So I don't think the response is necessarily something they were just like waiting for. I think mm-hmm. the problem is, and like, listen, like, um, I'm ethnically Tamil. Um, many people remember that a group of Tamils ran across the DVP and stopped right. traffic for yep. many hours. The problem is with some of these long-seated issues, and I think again they start before. Seven, a lot of these are very deep-seated issues and biases in some cases, right? And I think we shouldn't, you know, we should separate the ones who are peacefully protesting. I think the problem is when things are happening abroad, and these are this is a big conglomerate of people. Who are protesting. Um, the problem is when you feel helpless and mm. you want to raise awareness, they're just gonna keep raising awareness in the only way they know how to. Yeah. Right? They're gonna write a letter to their MP, they're gonna protest their MP's office, they're gonna protest the consulates. I don't think it's right for them to protest like innocent people and Jewish businesses. I think, you know, yeah. whatever is happening abroad and yeah. like it doesn't affect people here, whether you are Palestinian or if you are Jewish, like it has nothing to do with you here. You know, this is happening abroad and you can be a Jewish person and against what's happening for what Netanyahu is doing. You can also be a Palestinian person and be against what Hamas did. You know, no one has to pick a side. I think we can all agree that everyone Mm -hmm. here wants sustainable peace and long-lasting security in the region. So I think that people are in a desperate space, but I don't think... I think anyone who thought that just saying a ceasefire and, and coming together is going to, you know, take away the fact that look at the state of Gaza right now yeah. is going to make everyone feel better. And I think people have to think about what the, this is not just a today problem. I think people, there's a long time battle in how we eradicate hate and through education. And politicians and all public figures have a role to play in that in terms of uniting the country.
1: Okay. All right.
5: So uh, Rob, you got a quick final? Well, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I would like to see in this season of hope our political leaders come together uh, and, and address this in Canada. Uh, we keep hearing this is unacceptable, this is not Canada. Clearly, it is Canada now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this might be a time for our leaders to come together and say, uh, we, need, we do need to, to uh, be mindful of our neighbors, our Jewish neighbors, yep. and our Muslim neighbors. We need to look after them uh, and uh, we yep. need to yep. realize that uh, this is a real problem in Canada and confront it. Okay, Brad, I'm going to come back to you and let you
1: have the last word. He me- he's made some points on the need for political leadership to try to Put an end to the division
4: and try to bring people together. Where are you, where are there's you? No, in this yeah, yeah, there's no question. There's a role. There's a role for the for the top to set a tone. Because if you I don't recall these kinds of activities where people are going businesses to business, whether yeah. they're uh, on, on one side or another, uh, shaming people for, you know, the religious beliefs that they hold or, or for or, or for who they are, where they were born. Uh, that's not uh, what this country was built on. And it's uh, it, it appears that this could be uh, kind of a new uh, era of uh, of of division, which I don't think a majority of Canadians uh, want to see the tone needs to be set at the top by the leaders.
1: Okay. that's, a, that's a, oh, All right. We're going to end it on there. <music> NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says Canadians will choose new Democrats over the other main parties.
0: Pierre Poilievre is not who he says he is. he is. He is going to make things harder for you. He's going to cut the things that you care about and that the Liberals are not the solution either. They, they've shown that they're out of touch and we've shown that we can deliver. And we'll put that case to Canadians. Despite that analysis, new
1: Democrats have been stuck around 20% in the polls throughout this year. So will Canadians credit the NDP for programs like dental and PharmaCare come election time? Power panel's back. On that, Rob Russo, Vonda Cotter, Lisa Raitt, and Brad Levine. So Brad, uh, we we spoke to Jagmeet Singh uh, earlier in the show. He had his new baby daughter in his arms the entire time, which was a a first, I I think, for for this show. And and he's optimistic that with dental being delivered and PharmaCare delayed until March but still promised by March, that this is going to make the difference for the NDP in terms of, like, gaining traction with the electorate. Do, do you think that that will work that way?
4: Well, I certainly hope so, and obviously that's, that's, the, um, that's the, the, the kind of the game plan here. I mean, after the last election, New Democrats had about uh, just, you know, 24, 25 seats, uh, minority parliament position, uh, but a balance of power. Um, other parties had also a balance of power. So the only question that they had in this parliament – was to say, what do we want to do with with our ability to make an imprint on this parliament and get stuff done? And they've done a pretty good job. I mean, that dental care plan that was announced last uh, Monday—you uh, know, it's, its I'm I'm still hearing it being talked about uh, all over uh, the country. Uh, so that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good splash. Can they maintain the notion that, that they deserve credit for it? I think they can. The real issue is going to be, can they then cash that goodwill into more? See, the, the challenge that they face is they're, they're criticizing the very partner that's helping them implement an agenda. Yes. That's, that, that's true. But a lot of people uh, you know, are saying, well, Mr. Trudeau might be done, uh, or they might be done with Mr. Trudeau's time, but I don't like Polyev. You know, putting yourself as the as as the alternative to Paulyev as a replacement for Trudeau saying, look, just look at our record, what we've got done in the last couple of years, pretty compelling argument. The only question I would ask is that If you don't have that record, then what do you run on? So this is better. Is this the silver bullet? No. They're going to have to run a very aggressive campaign. They're going to have to spend lots and lots of money, run a great slate of candidates. There's lots of work to do. But would you rather have a record or would you rather be like the bloc who, in my opinion, just have been sitting here wasting uh, all of our time uh, as they have the balance of power and they've done nothing? But, you know,
1: Lisa, they sort of lashed themselves to the mass of the SS Liberal just as it started taking on water. And all through the Supply and Confidence Agreement, what we've seen is Pierre Polyev uh, moved to the cusp of a majority. Um, you know, if an election were held today, that's what the polls suggest would happen. I, I mean, has this worked for the two partners in the agreement as we near the end of, the, of this year?
6: Well, I hope that Mr. Singh is right. I hope that it is going to turn out to be something that helps him because a strong NDP in Ontario elects conservative MPs. (laughs) And quite frankly, I'll take that all day, every day, because the pool of voters he's taking from is not the pool of voters that's going to be voting conservative. They're the pool of voters that would vote for Mr. Trudeau. And I don't have a problem with that. It may not be helpful For us in BC, it may not be helpful in other parts of the country, but certainly in Ontario, the part that I'm from, I know that that vote splitting on the left certainly is a good way to make sure that we get some uh, elected Conservatives in areas that you would not have anticipated you would get us.
1: Well, well, Vanden, if the lights in the tree and the sweater didn't tell you our conservative (laughs) pendant is in a very festive mood
6: and certainly feeling good
1: about the direction of the country, how do you think this plays out, you know, uh, going forward? I mean, this March deadline or timeline now for Pharma is it a red line? What what do you think? How does this play out politically for them?
7: Uh, listen, I think governance-wise, in terms of like how to deal with a minority parliament, I think Jack Singh's done really well. I think mm. the problem is, like, majority Canadians, and I've I've been the real world for a while now, <laughs> they just don't have time to pay attention to the nitty-gritty of what's happening sure. in politics. So are they watching question period? Do they know who has done what? They may just know, I have dental care now, or my kid has dental care now. So I don't think it necessarily translate directly to the NDP. I also think with so much time out from a government, it's really hard for any party to get traction right now with everything else going on. I think people are more likely to pay attention in those six weeks usually. Right. So I think um, I don't think it's going to translate to votes. I think there's still a big, long road ahead to say, like, here's what we done in the House, here's what it means to you, but also to really set apart the stage, like, what makes them different from the Liberal government, right? What's going to be different for them, especially because they don't have a track record of governance that they can rely on or, like, say, like, when NDPs are in government, this is what happens. But mm-hmm. I think that also could work for them. But I think it's about, how can they make it work for them? That being said, um, to Lisa's point, I will say that, and this is just Ontario politics, you know, Doug Ford was able to take away seats from the Democrats. So I think there is there could be a place where they can take from the Conservatives as well. Yeah, like here, southwestern when, Ontario yes, exactly.
1: and, and northern Ontario. That's yeah. going to be those orange sort of blue battlegrounds, right, potentially. But, but you know, Rob, this supply and confidence agreement, it, it's given kind of both uh, parties to it. Time, It's given the government stability and some predictability. But you know, do we think it's given either
5: one of them a lift? Uh, there's no polling evidence that shows that. And there, there is some historical evidence that suggests that every time the NDP does this, they, they get into trouble, with one notable exception that I'll come to in a minute. But in 1972, Pierre Trudeau barely hung on by one seat David Lewis supported him uh, and, and uh, paid the price for it two years later when Pierre Trudeau was uh, elected to a majority. In Ontario, Bob Ray supported David Peterson in 87 uh, uh, or in 85 mm-hmm. uh, to defeat the Conservatives, only to see David Peterson win a majority. But there has been a notable exception, and I'm going to pay Brad the compliment. Uh, his team and Jack Layton were, um, they were very, very adroit at getting stuff out of first liberals and then conservative minority governments, and with every election between 2004 and 2011, increasing their popular vote, increasing their seat count. Uh, but what was key to that, and I think Brad mentioned it earlier, was drawing a clear distinction between the liberals of Paul Mart and Michael Ignatieff, and casting them as more conservative, uh, and... Uh, a distinction between them and a more progressive NDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure that Jugmeet Singh has been able to do that yet, but he has a couple of baubles, trophies certainly, that he can put in the window. But there's, if he wants to study the example, it was Jack Lee. Right.
1: Well, certainly these liberals have moved into that sort of progressive exactly. space in an yeah. aggressive way yeah, yeah. compared to to past liberal government. So, Brad, I, I wonder, you know, Jagmeet Singh seems to think this is going to last. I think the liberals are hoping it will last. I think. Well, frankly, I think the Liberals, the NDP and the Bloc, I'll look at the polls and really hope this lasts until 2025. Well, what's your sense? Do you think they can sustain this working arrangement? Because I'm not convinced the universal Pharmacare vision of the NDP is the Pharmacare vision of of the Liberals
4: uh, or even the country uh, necessarily. Uh, I mean, do you think that can become the breaking point? Well it's certainly obviously it's 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 a it's a uh, it's a matter that there's been division over already because mm-hmm. the first draft did not contain the universal single-payer pharmacare plan that the new democrats were asking for in the uh, in the agreement so that's why we have the uh, we have an extension now until March of 2024 for the legislation so we we already know that that that's, that's to be the case. But even if there is that division, and if we want to talk about the, the, the pure po- political uh, aspect of it, right. that's not a bad distinction that New Democrats would like to uh, make to the electorate in 12, 18 months, whenever we hit the polls next, to say the liberals have been promising help, help on prescription drugs they can't even you know they can't even do the basics like they did like uh, like like with 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 the uh, with the issue on dental so making those distinctions between what the liberals do when they're by themselves because let's let's remember they've been in government since 2015 and a lot of the promises that they make haven't gotten achieved until the NDP had a balance of power in a minority parliament. So you know so for the record that Singh's going to have he's and he's got a list of accomplishments uh, as as Rob mentions you know also the liberals have a record of not being able uh, to, on their own, be trusted to fulfill the things that they promised. Let's not forget that 2015 was supposed to be the last election uh, under first-past-the-post. And and here we are, eight years later. <laughs> yes, probably facing another election. Well, definitely facing another election under first-past-the-post.
1: But, you know, Lisa, when I was speaking to Jagmeet Singh earlier, and he's sitting there with a two-week-old baby in his arms, uh, didn't look like a guy who was going to be looking for an election in 2024. And, and you know, mm-hmm. when, when you look at the math and the map... Um, I don't see any of the parties wanting an election except for the conservatives, obviously. Uh, I I mean, do you think this lasts even if the progress on Pharmacare isn't quite to the letter of the agreement or certainly becomes something that falls short of what the New Democrat membership says it's looking for?
6: I think what it comes down to is something a little bit different. I think it's a point in time if this government believes that it has found an issue that's going to give them that bump that they need in order to push off the conservatives then you'll see an election before 2025 but if you don't see that lightning of, a, of an issue on the on the horizon I, I don't think that anyone mm. is in any hurry to rush towards an election including the conservatives I could I do think a case could have been made that perhaps, this current government would feel more comfortable running in the uh, in the electoral district uh, drawings as they are now, as right. opposed to what they will be after April. But I think we've just run out of too much time on that road. And as a result, I think uh, 2025, unless something hits, that clearly divides conservatives and um, and liberals.
1: Yeah. And, and on that point that Lisa made, the new electoral map. Uh, you know, it, it adds seats in places like Alberta, which favors conservatives and redraws some of the existing boundaries because of population shifts. No gerrymandering. This is all done no. according to rules. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it favors conservatives if you overlay past vote analysis. But w- could there be an issue that the liberals would like to see maybe to, uh, to go early? Because if you look at the unrest happening here and their desire to see Tiff Macklin cut interest rates a few times next year and the U.S. presidential election cycle, I'm not sure there is something, that would, something obvious that would motivate the liberals to go early.
7: No, and mm-hmm. I think the, I think um, Lisa nailed it in the sense that like um, it 's not going to be about what you 're against right if the If the narrative mm-hmm. is like you don 't want Pierre Polyev as pm that 's not going to be enough right You really need to make this election about what are you voting for right you know mm-hmm. and it has to be more than just it also has to be more than just change right mm-hmm. change can be something mm-hmm. change can be bad, and change can be good so I think um, they need to really define and craft that narrative, and I think they're doing that now with. People in place of the party and whatnot of like, what are we telling Canadians? Like things have changed dramatically across the country since twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the U.S. Demo- like election was going to change things as well. And I think they're going to really have to craft like, what are we like? How we how we connected with Canadians enough to know that what we're selling to them is that something that they want to buy.
1: Right. Rob, last word to you, but
5: well, I think right now, if there was an election, the election question would be: um, are, are you tired of Justin Trudeau and you want to get rid of him? Uh, if uh, if the Liberals are going to go, if they're going to pull the plug, they have to make the election. Uh, are you ready to elect Premier uh, Prime Minister Pierre Poilievre? And I think right now people are, uh, and so I don't think that they're they're going to pull the plug. Yeah. The the problem will be the with the NDP. They will have a Rubicon to cross at a certain point. Um, do they continue to support what is? right now an unpopular party, uh, or do they take the chance of, of electing um, uh, um, a very conservative government, uh, but enhancing their own status the way Jack Layton did in 2011.
1: Okay. All right, Game, we've got to leave it there. I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you to the Power Panel, Lisa Rae, Brad Levine, Vandita Cotter, and Rob Russo. Thanks, Game. Merry Christmas. Ho, 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 everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening.